weekend. You know, it was funny. I, I didn't even realize until Wednesday that this was the long weekend. I completely lost track of it out. And we were at baseball, and the coach was like, well, we'll see you next week on Wednesday because Monday's a holiday. I'm like, what? It's a holiday? No. <laughs> we completely lost track of it. But uh, this morning, as uh, two weeks ago, we were preaching on seed. Remember, we've been talking about seed time and harvest. And so two weeks ago, we were looking at how the seed is impacted, how when, when you plant the seed of the word, what happens? What does the enemy do? What, is, what happens for you? You can be planting multiple things. And we were seeing the response of what happens when you put seed. And while we were talking about the, the wayside seed, the seed that was planted on the wayside, I began to get off into some other ac- uh, areas as the Holy Spirit was leading me. And we began to talk about how the reason why it says that Satan comes immediately to steal the seed from the wayside is because he doesn't want you to move from the wayside into the field because you don't produce a harvest on the wayside you produce a harvest in good ground on the field and so the last thing the enemy wants is for you to move from out here and watching to inside and participating and we began to talk about worship and how worship is not entertainment worship is not a spectator sport Come on, can I get an amen to that? We don't come to church to listen to the worship team worship. We come to join them in worship. Come on. And so Toph and Jess are our worship leaders. They lead us into worship, but they don't worship for us. And no one can ever worship for you. And so the last thing the enemy wants is for you to go from being a spectator to a participator. You want to know why? Think about it just naturally with our sports. Say we've just gotten through the, the, um, the Stanley Cup, the playoffs are going on, the Leafs are gone now, so Canadian teams are like, oh, no, we don't need to watch anymore. Right, Brandon? No, no point in watching, the Leafs are gone. When you go to a game, you get entertained for a moment. You get excited for a moment as a spectator in the stands. But the glory and the spoil go to the ones on the right. They are the ones that get paid. They're the ones whose names get remembered. And it's the same way with our relationship with God. There's nobody in the Bible that mentions their name and says, and they stood and watched. Come on. No, it tells you the stories of those who went and did great exploits, those who were there and participated. It gives us the name of David's mighty men who fought alongside of him and did great exploits, but it mentions nobody who stood at the back. Oh, guys, I'm so glad you're winning this war for us. No, we don't remember their names. The Bible doesn't mention people who did nothing. It mentions people who believed and responded to the word of God. And so the last thing the enemy wants is for you to go from being a spectator to a participator. And when it comes to worship, you are called to be a participator, not a spectator. And so I, I said to Toph last week after we were finished up the service, I said, we're going different, different this weekend. We're having a teaching service, and we're going to teach on worship because it's been a long time. And we don't want how we as a society act to influence how the Bible calls us to act. 
Come on. Those are two different ends of the spectrum. And we're not called to be worldly people. We're called to be sons and daughters of the kingdom. And so if we don't know how to open our hearts and worship, we'll only ever get what worldly people get. But when we step out from beyond ourselves and into the things that God has called us to, we begin to reap different things. Come on. You never get a new harvest from planting the same old thing over and over and over again. If I'm putting corn in the ground, I'm getting corn. If I put wheat in the ground, I'm getting wheat. If I'm watching, I'm getting nothing. But if I begin to sow of my heart in worship, I begin to have a harvest. And for many, their entire relationship with God in every area, not just in worship, is simply internalized. It's something that they think about. They mentally assent to, but we rarely ever step over into participation and flowing with what God has called us to. And as we talked about for many weeks when we were on the law of faith, is faith is birthed in a heart that responds to the authoritative word of God. Faith is not birthed in a heart that watches. It's in a heart that responds. And every story of faith is someone who heard something from God and then said something or did something. Amen? And so for us, we're not called to have an internal relationship with God only. Though you can think about God as much as you want, but he's not to stay in your thoughts. He is to be the God of your spirit, soul, and body. I honor God with my body and with my, my actions. I honor God with my emotions. I honor God with the yielding of my will, because that's what your soul is, your mind, your will, and your emotions. And so not just to think about God, but to bend your will to his will. Come on, to conform your emotions to tell to how he told it it is. If he said you can have joy, you can have joy. You don't have to have sorrow. The Bible says sorrow may last for the night, but joy comes in the morning. This is not a place that I'm going to stay. I'm stepping from this moment of sorrow into that joy because the joy of the Lord is my strength. And so he is the God of my spirit, the God of my heart, the God of my mind, my will, and my emotions. He's the God of my body. He's God over my words, and he's God over my actions. He's God in every area. And so we are not to internalize our relationship with God. We are to express it to him and model it before others. Come on. The, uh, Paul said in Ephesians chapter 5, in verse 18, he said, and do not be drunk with wine, which is a dissipation or excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, we often read this as a prohibition saying, don't drink, but take the Spirit instead. That's not what Paul's talking about here. He is contrasting two things that will have a physical effect on you. Oh, come on, we'll just slow down here a little bit. I got my preach on, and I want to slow down and do a little bit of teaching today. He says, don't be drunk with wine. What happens when you drink? The more you drink, the more you lose your faculties, right? You begin to slur. You begin to stumble. You begin to have do things you probably wouldn't do if you weren't drunk. It begins to have a physical effect on you. 
You know, the Holy Spirit is the same way when you keep receiving him into the fill. I want more. I'm going to receive more. God, I'm going to worship more. I'm going to draw from your spirit more. It begins to have a physical effect on you where what was used to be a little bit grumpy turns into a little bit of joy. And it begins to flow over and spill out of you, even to the point that when they were filled with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, they flooded out into the streets of Jerusalem. And what did the people say about them? These people are drunk. There was a physical effect that began to happen on their body because they were laughing and having a great time with God and speaking out in the Spirit as the Spirit gave them utterance in new tongues. People began to hear them exalt and praise and declare God in their own languages. There was a physical effect that began to spill over into them as they drawed from the Spirit. And what a travesty that many of us as Christians can go our whole life and look no different than when we began. Because he will only ever take the space you give him. He's a gentleman. And so Paul says, don't be drunk with wine, which is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. He's contrasting something else that will have a physical effect on you. And this is what he says. He says, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord. To speak to one another in psalms and hymns, that's basically poetry and songs. You know, David wrote a lot of psalms in the book of Psalms. And do you know what those psalms were? Those were his songs to God. He's a great one for us to look at and model in worship and the power of worship. You know that long before he was king, when he was a young shepherd boy, when Saul began to go away from God and not honor God as he was meant to, he began to get distressed and there were spirits that would come and oppress him. So what they would do is they would call young David, who would come into the tent at night and he would play his harp and sing praises and worship to God. And as David worshipped, the presence would just fill the tent and the distressing spirits would leave and Saul could sleep. David understood the power of worship. And worship had a very physical effect on Saul so that he could sleep. And when David didn't worship, he couldn't. And the more, less, he, less he slept, the meaner he got, the worse king he became. Come on, some of us could use a little more worship in our lives to smooth off some of those edges that make us rough. <laughs> Come on. And so he says, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. As we begin to worship God, we start with our understanding. But as you yield your heart to worship, you begin to hear the songs of heaven. And you can begin to sing out new songs that didn't exist before that moment when you opened your heart. Come on, if we only ever stick with our understanding, we will never step over and sing with heaven. Man, there's a song that I, I love. We don't sing it here, but uh, I, I do it in my own personal worship time. We are joined with angels. Our purpose the same. To worship the one and only God. A little piece of heaven is in this place. And you, they are worshiping God. But if you don't like worship, you're going to hate heaven. <laughs> because there's moments where they just worship for a long time. 
And then there's moments where they just kneel down before God in silence. If you don't like to worship, you're not going to like heaven. Heaven is filled with the worship of God. And so it says singing songs and psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. And so worship at its core is not music. Worship is at its core is not music. Even though we may say, oh, we're having a worship night and we're going to play some music at that night. Worship is not music. Music is simply the container of which we are offering our worship in. And to worship is interesting. In uh, Matthew chapter 4, verse 9, I, I don't have this on the slide, so you're just going to have to follow along and look it up later. When Jesus is filled with the Holy Spirit, he's led of the Spirit into the desert where the devil shows up to tempt him. And what is one of the temptations that the devil does to him? He brings him up and he shows him all the nations of the earth and he says, right now, if you worship me, I will give all this to you. And Jesus' response was, you should worship only God and him only shall you serve. He wasn't, the Satan wasn't saying, right now, if you'll sing me a tune, Jesus, I'll give this all to you. No, what does worship mean? The word that is used there is the Greek word proskuneo, which means to kneel yourself down or prostrate yourself before. And basically, the idea is, is I bow myself in honor of one who is higher. And so worship at its core is me submitting myself under God. Because he's called to be the God of our lives, the Lord of our lives. And there can only be one Lord, and if you're it, he's not. And so what Satan was saying is, Jesus, submit yourself under me. That's what he said to Jesus. And that's been his plan all along. And the reason why he used those words is because we told you two weeks ago that, the, that Satan, or Lucifer as he was called at that time, he was the angel of worship. If we look at the different classes of angels, we have the archangels. And in there, there's three. There was Michael, the warrior angel. angel. There's Gabriel, the messenger angel. He always comes with a message. And then there was Lucifer, who was the angel over worship. His job was to lead the host of heaven into worship of God. And as he began to lead them in worship, he decided, you know what would be really great? I wish I was the one that they were worshiping. And so he has his manifesto, and how does it say? I will ascend into heaven, and I will exalt my throne above the throne of God. And so worship at its core is not music, it's us submitting our lives under God. And so we don't worship only with our music, we worship with the posture of our heart. God, I'm here for you. I'm here to exalt you and sing praise to your name. For you're the great one. You're the one in whom I look to. You are my source. You are my help. You are the creator of all things in which I will look to you and not to me. 
And so he says, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. And this is why the song doesn't really matter. The heart is more important. Look at the prayers of the Pharisees. Jesus said, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And so when we come together for a time of worship, and even the word portion of our messages is us worshiping. God, I'm submitting myself unto you, and I'm going to honor you with my time. I'm going to honor you with my attention. I'm going to be here, and I'm going to incline my ear to you. I'm listening. Speak, Lord. Your servant listens. So the song really doesn't matter. And so many battles across the body of Christ have been waged over what songs we should sing and what style should it be. And when I was growing up and the contemporary Christian music was getting more popular, there was a huge war of, no, it has to be the hymns because they're more spiritual, they're more anointed, they came directly from God. And now I look back and I laugh at people who thought like that because do you know that most of the hymns were written to pub songs, to bar songs, They took the melodies and the tunes of bar songs that people would know the tunes so that they could all sing along together. And so now we have a generation who goes, it has to be the hymns and because they're more spiritual. No, they used those tunes because people could sing along and know the melodies. And now, in today, the songs that I grew up with, like that's 30, 40 years ago now, People are saying, no, it has to be, I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice. And I love that song, and I sing it all the time. But it doesn't have to be that song. And people venerate those songs above others because they are their hymns. They're the ones that they know. It's the things that they were used to. Come on, if you prefer your preference over your praise, there will be a blockade between your blessings. Come on, do I need to say that again? If you prefer your preference over your praise, you will put a blockade between you and your blessing. Why? Because God does not always use the same things. He's always doing new things. He's inspiring new songs. He's giving heart of worship to those modern-day psalmists who will write songs that exalt them that are easy for that generation to sing. And it can be a a genre that you hate, and God can use it. Come on, listen, personally, I don't like rap. I am not a fan of rap. I I don't care for it at all. But I remember it was probably about seven, eight years ago, I was in a service. And somebody, uh, the minister got up and was like, now we got brother so-and-so, and and the Lord uh, impressed this rap upon his heart there a few weeks ago, and I believe that it's anointed for today, and he's going to come up, and he's going to sing it out. He got up there, and he began to rap, and my goodness, the presence of God filled that place. People got down on their knees and were weeping, and their hearts were just open before God, and lives were being changed in a genre that I don't care for, but I could still worship with it. There's a difference between preference and difference between praise. And we come to church and we may sing a genre you don't like. That's a time where we examine our hearts. And we come into alignment together and we worship the Lord with one voice. The song is just the container. Your heart is the one that worships. Amen?
So maybe you hate the music here. I don't really care whether you love it or you hate it. We align our hearts with God. What are, what are we declaring when we worship? What is the song actually saying? What are we declaring to God? What we're doing is we're coming into unity together. And so I want to take the next little bit, and I want to look at why that's so important. In the book of Acts, chapter 4, we have the story of Peter and John. And they were preaching, in, in, and they, they had just, um, there was a uh, lame man who they had healed, and they began to, people were like, my goodness, it's amazing, isn't this the guy who's been lame at the gate for so long as we can remember, and here he's now leaping and praising God? And uh, the, the, the chief priests and everything all came and said, what are you guys doing preaching to the people we're supposed to be preaching? And they got mad. And they pulled Peter and John in before them, and they began to chastise them. And they said, don't you dare preach in the name of Jesus anymore. And when they had threatened them, they released them. And here in chapter 4, verse 23, it says, and being let go, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. This is so important. When you're going through a, a struggle, get with people who can actually encourage you. They went to their own companions, and they said, hey guys, this is what has happened. So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord. So what happened? Peter got up and said, guys, this is what we need to do. No. John got up and said, I think this is a good song we should sing. No. It said, they raised their voice to God. Everyone say, they. That's me. They is the collective. They raised their voice to God. They didn't spectate Peter and John raising their voice. They raised their voice to God with one accord. And this, this word is so important in a New Testament context. It's a very special word that is actually a compound word of two different Greek words. And Paul had a habit of not knowing how to fully express what he was feeling in his heart and what he was seeing God do, that he had to make up new words to express it. And so he took two words and smashed them together that mean one accord, and it's the word homothomidin, which means the first part is to rush along with passion and purpose and in unison together. What did it mean when they got in one accord? They rushed along together in passion and purpose in unison together. It wasn't one going this way, one going that way. They went together in unison with passion and purpose. Whew, come on. I, I, don't, I don't know how some people sit still when we worship. When I begin to move with passion and purpose, it moves my heart. I feel the Holy Spirit beginning to stir up on the inside of me. And what may have been bored and, and dull just a few minutes ago, life begins to spring because I'm moving together with passion and purpose. We're moving in a direction together. And you could say, Pastor Jordan, how, what does that have to do with worship? Well, this word homothomidin has a very interesting notation that goes along with it. It says the image is almost musical. A number of notes are sounded which, while different, harmonize in pitch 
and tone. And so the idea behind homosomiden or the rush along with passion and purpose together in unison is almost musical. Like you could think of it like an orchestra. One note is sounded here and one sound note is sounded here. The clarinet doesn't sound like the tuba. The tuba doesn't sound like the oboe. The oboe doesn't sound like the trombone. No, but God brings them together and they bring a, a whole orchestra out of what was this note and that note brings them together in harmony and pitch. And when we come together, you're saying, I don't sing. No, you don't have to sing. But declare what, the, what we're singing. If we're singing, God, you are great, and Toph may be going, you are great, you do miracles so great. And you can be going, yes, God, you are great. You are the miracle maker. You don't have to sing it out, but declare with one voice and one mind and one purpose together as we all rush along together because great things happen when we move in one accord. And every time we see this word homothomiden expressed through the body of Christ, great things happen. And what happened here? It says, when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God. You made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in it. And who by the mouth of your your servant David have said, why did the nations rage? Why do the people plot vain things? And they begin to to stir themselves up in the history of what God has said. And then they get along to this. They say, Lord, now look at their threats and grant to your servants with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And so they, they, they remember that they gathered for a purpose, right? Peter and John were threatened. And so they raised their voice together and they said, Lord, here's the situation. You notice they didn't whine about the situation? They said, oh God, this is so terrible, please do something. They said, no, God, behold, this is the situation, but grant us boldness. And it wasn't grant Peter and John boldness, it was grant us boldness. As a collective, as a body, as the church of God, grant us boldness. And it says, and when they had prayed, which the Greek word there means to express desire, they expressed their heart to God, it says, the place where they were assembled, was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. It says they were all filled because they all lifted their voice to God. They all moved in one accord. They all asked for boldness. They all received boldness. They all got it, went, and did it. But when they moved in one accord, even the very building they were in began to shake. There was a very natural and physical reaction to the yielding to the Holy Spirit. Amen? And it says after that, now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul or one mind. Their time of worship and prayer brought them into unity together and they moved with passion and purpose together. And so when we come to worship God, when we, we sing these songs, it's not so that we can listen to them, it's so that we can all come to the same focus, be of the same mind and the same heart. 
We sing about God, how great He is, what He's done, what He's done on our behalf, who He has made us to be. We stir ourselves up in remembrance. Man, we stir ourselves up in thanksgiving to God. And so every time we see the word homosomiden throughout the book of Acts, something crazy happens. You know, you can go back to the chapter 2. It says, when on the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord and in one place. You know, we could stop there and preach for a second about they were in one accord and in one place. Thank God for online stuff. But online is a supplement. It says they went to their own companions. They got together with them. They were in one place. And I like that I can watch people from all over the world every day, but I'm thankful for a church body that we can come together and worship together. They were all with one accord and in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven, a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat on each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So they were in one accord, in one place. They were of one mind, one passion, one purpose, moving together, and the Holy Spirit moved. Whew. When we get on the same page with each other, it gives freedom of the Holy Spirit to move, and move dy- dynamically. Unfortunately, though, one accord can also be used in a negative sense. In Acts chapter 7, verse 57, Stephen gets up and he begins to preach to those around him, and he begins to tell them about Jesus and everything that's going on, and what happened? They got offended at what he said, and it said that they were all of one mind, and they rushed at him and said, let's kill him. And so the crowd got of one purpose and of one mind, and it led to Stephen's murder. So we have to ask the question, what are you aligning your self-immunity with? This is an important thing to say in this time. There's a lot of people speaking pretty loudly who want to rally you to their way of thinking, their way of outrage. Come on. They want you to be as mad about everything as they are. You can be of one mind and of one heart in a negative context. And things happen. Stephen's murder happened in Acts 7. In Acts 19, 29, Paul got up and he preached and people started turning away from the false gods and the people who were selling the trinkets to people were like, oh, this is bad, he's going to bankrupt us. And so they stirred up the people against them and the people came as one mind and they rushed into the theater and said, let's find that Paul guy and let's kill him. And so you are constantly uniting yourself with something. Is it you united with your brothers and sisters in Christ in accordance to what God has said? Or are you uniting yourself with the world in what they're screaming and crying about? It can go both directions. But here's what Paul said in Romans 15. He says, Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded towards one another according to Christ Jesus that you may with one mind, one mouth, glorify God, the Father, and our Lord Jesus Christ. 
You catch that? That we may be of one mind and one mouth glorify God. And so God is the focus of our worship. And so when the songs we sing should be specific in that God is our focus. We started off with, God, you're so good. We said, God, you're doing great things. And then we said, bless the Lord, oh my soul. Who are we blessing? The Lord. And it says, with all that is within me, I pour my entire being, my entire heart into my worship. So let's talk about what are some biblical expressions of worship. Because I'm not here to worship as the world worships things. I want to worship as the Bible says, this is worship. And I think a great place to look at, we already said David is a great model. Well, here's what he said in Psalm 95. He said, oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Come on. Well, I don't sing. Nobody cares what you sound like. He said, sing, sing. He said, let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Well, I just don't express myself that way. No, that's how you allow yourself to be expressed. Because, Mom, the same meek and mild people who come to church are like, oh, I just don't feel like it's the right time. I can't do anything. They're out there shouting when the football's running down the field. Come on. You do what you allow yourself to do. And if you follow saying, oh, I just don't do that, well, if I did that, I'd never be a pastor because I don't want to be up here in front of people. I'm an introvert by nature. I'm like, I don't want to talk to people. I don't want to see. No, but God said, get up there and do it. So you do it. He didn't ask for your opinion. And so David says, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I just want to thank you, Lord. Well, what am I thanking him for? Well, how about he gave us his own self so that you could live? He died so that you could live. He gave of his all so that you could have his all. Come on. Whew, there's so much to be thankful. How about you woke up this morning? We should sing a song like that. I'm so glad that I have breath. When I woke up this morning, I wasn't dead. Come on. There's a lot to be thankful about. He says, oh, come and let us worship or submit ourselves unto God and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our God, our maker. When the, when the Spirit of God moves you and you feel like, I just need to get down on my knees before God, do it. Worship him, God, I submit myself to you. I kneel before you because you are the God in whom I submit my life to. And you can say, well, I just don't do that. I just don't kneel. Trust me, if you see Pastor Jordan on his knees, it's only because God told me to. I've got bony knees and it hurts to kneel, but I'd rather be uncomfortable for a moment but be in submission to God. You know, James, the Apostle James, wrote the book of James. Do you know what they called him? They called, his nickname was Old Camel Knees because he had such calluses on his knees from spending so much time on his knees in prayer and worship. So it may not be comfortable for you, but if he says, I want you to kneel down right now, kneel down. You know, a month or two ago, we were here on corporate prayer on Friday morning, and the presence of God just rolled into this place, and I was like, I just got to hit the floor. 
and I just laid out on the floor, and the presence of God was just so heavy, so weighty on me that I couldn't get up off the floor. And there was other people that were here, and uh, one person looked over and, and said, oh, I saw you laying down. And I was like, well, I don't want to just do that because he's doing it. And the Holy Spirit said, no, you should do it. And so he laid down, and he said the same thing. The presence of God became so weighty upon him that he couldn't get up. When you submit yourself to God, you begin to experience things you didn't experience before. And that's the great dichotomy that I've experienced as a pastor over the years, is that we can have a great time of worship, and some can experience it so deeply and say, man, that was just so, the presence of God was so thick and so real and so tangible here. My body was healed as we worshiped. And then in the same service, someone can say, well, that was boring and I really didn't enjoy it. And you could say, well, Pastor Jordan, you're exaggerating. Trust me, I'm not. The amount of people who've complained about worship in the same day someone talked about how awesome it was is astounding. But you don't experience, based upon somebody else opening their heart, you experience by you opening your heart. And when you just say, God, I may sound like a donkey brain in a tin barn, but here I offer you my worship anyways. He says, oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our God, our maker. In verse 7, it says, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. And today, if you'll hear his voice, do not harden your heart, as in the rebellion, as in the day of trial in the wilderness. He says, so here we are, we come to worship, we come to kneel down. And what does he say? Don't harden your heart, which means you control whether your heart is open or whether your heart is closed. The choice sits with you. That's what Paul said in in, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 14 about praying in the Spirit and singing in the Spirit. He said, I will pray in other tongues, and I will pray with my understanding. And then he said, I will sing in the Spirit, and I will sing with my understanding. He didn't say, God will make me pray. He didn't say, God will make me sing. He said, I will. You control the lever of whether you submit yourself to God or not. What are some other expressions of worship? Timothy said this, or Paul said this to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 2. He said, I desire therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and without doubting. He says, I I wish that everyone would pray and that they would lift their hands up to God. Why? This is the universal sign of, I surrender. God, I surrender to your will. I surrender to your way. I choose to worship you despite my flesh saying, you look like a fool. Everybody's looking at you. No, they're not. They should be looking at their own heart saying, God, I worship you. Lord, I magnify you. And I lift up your wonderful name. He says, I desire everywhere that men lift up holy hands without anger and without doubting. Why? Because he said to. Solomon, the, the, the wisest man who ever lived, said, let us lift up our hearts and hands to God in heaven. Come on. That's what he said. Let us lift not just our hearts, but also our hands unto heaven. And he didn't just say it. He modeled it. When they built the temple, 
and they were dedicating it that day, there was so much, they were sacrificing animals, they were bringing offerings, and then Solomon got before the people to pray a prayer of dedication, and it says, Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the assembly of Israel, and he spread out his hands towards heaven. And he began to pray and dedicate the temple. And the presence of God moved into the temple. And everybody hit the ground. And they were worshiping. And it says in verse 54, And so it was when Solomon had finished praying all this prayer and supplication to the Lord, he arose from his knees with his hands spread up to heaven. Woo! And you may say, well, why, why do I need to do this? Because the Bible said to. And maybe you start like this. You know, you could go with the Tim Hawkins joke. You know, my fish was this big. <laughs> Widescreen TV. Touchdown! You know? But it's about the heart posture being, Lord, I submit to you. I worship you. I'm not here to sing a song for my benefit. I'm worshiping you. Whew. And, you know, the Bible says... Uh, of the of the apostles, and I think it's Acts chapter 13, it says, as they ministered to the Lord. We often come to church looking to be ministered to. Worship is our time when we minister to Him. And it's funny that when you minister to Him, it's always usually followed by, and then He said, or then this happened. When you get your eyes off of The writer of Hebrews says in chapter 13, verse 15, it says, Therefore, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Let us continually offer the sacrifice. Why is it a sacrifice? Because most times when we get here, or when we're at home and we feel we need to worship, we don't want to. And a sacrifice is saying, I don't want to do it, but I offer myself as a living sacrifice before you. I put it down on the altar. I don't do what I want to do. I do what you want to do. It says, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. No one can worship for you if he wants to hear you. We can look at Psalm 47. It says, clap your hands, all ye people, and shout unto God with a voice of triumph. Now, I will give a little bit of balance with this one. God is not to be applauded. Oh, that was so good. That was so good. Because oftentimes, all, it, that gets directed at the people leading worship. Oh, yeah, so good, 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 good. No, you want to clap along? Do that. But when it gets time to worship, lift up your hands and lift up your voice unto God. I remember in 1987, leading into camp meeting, um, uh, God spoke to Brother Hagen, and he said, you got to tell the people to stop applauding me. I don't want their applause. I want their praise. And he said, in all the time that they're doing this, they're robbing themselves of honor of worship. You don't need to applaud man. God doesn't need your applause. He calls for your praise. And great things happen when we begin to praise. We can look at the story of Jehoshaphat in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. Armies come against him. They're majorly outnumbered. And it says that Jehoshaphat set himself to speak to the Lord because he was afraid. 
And he proclaimed a fast throughout all of Judah. And so Judah gathered, everyone say this with me, together. We're talking about being in one accord, of one purpose, of one mind, rushing along together to ask for help from the Lord and from all the cities of Judah. And they came to seek the Lord. And so Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord God of our, your fathers, are you not God in heaven? And do you not rule the kingdoms of the nations? And in your hand is there not power and might and that no one is able to withstand you? What did they do? Oh God, we're going to die. Please help us. No, they said, God, you're so great. Are you not powerful? What were they doing? They were stirring themselves up in remembrance of who he is. And when you don't know what to do, he does. So remind yourself of who he is, how great he is, how powerful he is. I lift up my eyes unto the hills. Where does my help come from? It comes from the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. And so they begin to remind themselves of who God was. And in verse 14... It says then, when is the then? After they raised their voice together. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaniah, the son of Jael, the son of Mattaniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph in the midst of the assembly. Now, why the genealogy? Why not just say the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel? Why the genealogy? It wants you to know, all the way back to Asaph, that this man is from a line of worshipers. Do you know who Asaph was? Asaph was David's chief worshiper. Here's something interesting, too. If you look at Solomon's wisest advisors, when they list their names, go back a few chapters and you'll find out that they were David's worshipers when you seek the Lord, you find wisdom in everything you need. You need wisdom? Better worship. And so the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel and he began to speak and he said when he had consulted with the people he appointed that the house should sing to the Lord and those should praise the beauty of his holiness. And as they went out before the army they were saying, praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. And so, they, how did they fight the battle? They sent the praise and worshipers out to exalt God. They're like, we don't even need to fight this battle. Let's go out. And it says, now when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord sent at ambushes against the people of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, and they were defeated. When they began to sing praises unto God, so God dealt with the problem. And a lot of times, you're fighting battles that you were never meant to face because they should have been dealt with in prayer and praise before it got to that point. And it doesn't matter if you're in the midst of a problem right now. We can follow the example of Paul and Silas when they were put in prison after being brutally whipped and put in the stocks and down into the lowest part of the prison. It says at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns or songs to God and the prisoners were listening to them. So it wasn't an internal thing. It wasn't something inside of them. They were expressing their hearts with the fruit of their lips. And it says, suddenly, there was a great earthquake, 
so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's chains were loosed. Whew! Because great things happen when we put God first, when we submit our hearts. And so worship here at Word Church is we come together, we rush along together in unison of passion and purpose. And the Holy Spirit orchestrates us all together as our focus is on God. And great things begin to happen when we submit our hearts into a status of worship, saying, God, I submit to you. I'm here to worship you. I don't care if I get nothing out of today. I've come to minister to you. And when you put him first, you give. And as the Bible says, it will be given unto you. Whew, you magnify the Lord, he'll lift you up. It says, submit yourself unto God, and he will exalt you in due time. We put ourselves before God, and we come together to worship. But you may say, well, Pastor Jordan, I don't want to put up my hands. Why don't you just start with saying, God deserves it. If you don't want to sing the words, speak the words. Don't be looking at them. Put your heart on God. Close your eyes. In a time of worship, as the Holy Spirit's just moving, open your heart. Close yourself off from everything else. You didn't come to worship everything else. You came to worship God. Hallelujah. And so this morning, we've just had a teaching session about worship. But the best thing to do is let's just take a moment and let's just walk that out together. We're going to sing just a simple song as we close today. And I encourage you, just close your eyes. Close, open your heart to God. Lift up your hands if you're comfortable. Speak out to God and worship Him. Magnify Him. Give Him all the glory. Because God, we came for you. We didn't come for ourselves. God, we came for you. We came to worship you this morning. God, you are great. And we give you all glory and honor and praise. Hallelujah. Why don't you go ahead and stand on your feet today? Hallelujah. Oh, we worship you, Jesus. We worship you. Of all your glory, the one that captures me. When I'm faced with all your beauty, your presence surrounds me, and on my knees I fall before you, surrounded by your praise, glory passes glory, I stand in
you are great. You are greatly to be praised. Hallelujah. We thank you, Lord, for this opportunity where we can just set our time aside and focus in on you. We thank you, Lord, that you are 
worthy of all our worship. You are worthy of all our praise and exaltation. That we can shout unto you joyfully. We can humble our hearts. Thank you, Father, that this is not a Sunday thing. That every time I think of you, I can humble my heart before you. I can worship you with every area of my life. I can honor you on my job. I can honor you within my family. I can honor you within the community. Father, we submit our hearts unto you. And we praise and honor your name, Jesus. Name above all names. We honor you. is the highest kind of prayer and the reason why that is is because the focus shouldn't be on you it should be wholly on God most of the time our prayer lives is God this is what I need I need I need do 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 worship is God I surrender to you and honor you with all I am hallelujah Jesus Jesus we thank you for your presence in here today. We thank you for your matchless presence, Lord. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. You may be seated. Just a couple announcements, guys. Um, the men's Bible study is this coming Saturday at 8 o'clock, so just you know, make sure to make a note of that. Um, and then we also want to let you know about our uh, Kenneth Hagen Ministries Canada here July 10th. We're pretty excited about it to have some special meetings. It's a Monday, so set that time aside if you're, if you're able to come in the afternoon. And in the evening, there'll be a service too. We're going to have a good time together. Hey, God has good things. He's doing good things in Canada, and we want to support this ministry. Okay, so it's going to be a good time. So just make note of those things, and we look forward to to what God's going to do during those services. Thank you, Jess. I walked off like I was done, but Pastor Robin and Wendy are preaching in California this weekend, so I guess I, I'm on offering. If you want to give today, you can do so at wordchurch.ca forward slash give, or you can envelopes in the seat and basket at the back, whatever you choose to do. We just say thank you. If you need prayer for anything this morning, don't leave here without having someone believe with you, agree with you, testify together. Our word care team is going to be right up at the front in just a moment. But above all things, you guys are blessed. Amen. Let's have a wonderful long weekend. If you got time, let's have a coffee and good conversation.